Thanks so much for that. Yes, yes. Seven years ago, almost to today, um, I was introduced to Sugar Hill Church. Kind of in a very random way, I ran into Chuck Allen in a hotel lobby in Jerusalem, and we started talking, and he started to tell me about this place called Sugar Hill, and what a unique place it is, and all that God was doing in this area and through Sugar Hill Church. And we began talking about Sugar Hill Church, and as we traveled together to the um, coast of Israel, the Mediterranean coast, we came to a really cool place called Caesarea. And at Caesarea, or Caesarea, some refer to it as, we're checking out this place uh, with the groups that we're with. We're checking out this place. It's an old Roman amphitheater. And I found a picture of this on Chuck's Facebook, actually. And by the way, if you want to be wildly entertained, go to Chuck Allen's Facebook page and just scroll backwards. It's so awesome, but yet so random. There's a picture of this amphitheater, and um, I think we have it. We'll pull it up, the amphitheater picture. But when you see this, you'll see how unique this amphitheater is overlooking the ocean, overlooking the coast. Now, this amphitheater is significant because this is the location that serves as a backdrop for Acts chapter 26, which is a very significant story. And I think especially on Father's Day is a story that can be wildly encouraging for not only fathers, but for mothers, for kids, no matter what your situation This is the incredible backdrop where the Apostle Paul was put on defense before King Agrippa. Now, a little background about this. Paul was accused by the Jews of being against the law, of being against the temple, of being against Caesar, unloyal to Caesar. And these are completely trumped up false allegations that are made against him. Paul is arrested based on these false allegations, and he's put in shackles, he's put in leg stocks, he's put in prison, and because the Roman governors, Felix and Festus, refused to set him free for political reasons, he sat in jail. In fact, he sat in jail for over two years. As a Roman citizen, Paul appealed to Caesar Nero for a chance to defend himself. And in Acts chapter 25, we see that King Agrippa II and Queen Bernice, they're visiting Caesarea to show some love to the new governor, Festus, that's there. And while they're there, they're like, hey, why don't you bring this guy, Paul, and let us hear him? Let's give him a chance to defend himself. See what he has to say for himself. And so they bring him to this amphitheater. And you'll see, I've got, I think, a wide picture of the amphitheater. The way these amphitheaters are constructed, right at the front of where those chairs are set up for a modern event, right at the front of this amphitheater, there is a rock. And on that rock is typically like a star or some kind of marking that is the exact perfect acoustical place 
where if you stand on that rock and you speak the way the amphitheater is designed, they'll be able to hear you in the whole amphitheater without amplification. It's so cool. I stood on it and I was talking. I was like, hello, hello. Wow, this is so cool. This is so cool. This is so cool. Um, But Paul is brought into this amphitheater. Now picture this. He's in chains. He's been in prison for far too long. He's been falsely accused. And he's brought into this amphitheater. And he's placed on this star, on this spot. And in front of him on this stage... You have the king, King Agrippa. You have the queen, Queen Bernice. You have the governor. And the amphitheater is filled with VIPs from Caesarea and also the elite Roman officials. And he's got one shot to defend himself here. I can't remember if it was the Apostle Paul or the great theologian Eminem that says, you only got one shot, one opportunity don't blow it. Well, this is Paul right here. You know, maybe that was written about him. He's in chains. He's falsely accused. He's got one chance to open his mouth and defend himself. Now, maybe you've never been accused before of a crime you didn't commit, but chances are everyone here has found themselves at some point in a tough situation that doesn't make any sense. Here's the thing about tough circumstances. Sometimes we get ourselves in tough circumstances because of the decisions we make, right? You know, someone once said, oh, there's a reason for everything, right? But sometimes the reason is you make stupid choices and you get yourselves in a hot mess. Sometimes we do nothing but try to do the right thing and life happens. And we find ourselves in really tough circumstances. And we don't know how we got there. Some of y'all may understand that. Some of y'all may feel that. Here's the thing about Father's Day. Father's Day is a great day. Great day to get cards, to get some love, to get gifts you'll probably never use again. And it's a wonderful day. But one thing we don't talk about is sometimes Father's Day is a very difficult day for some people. Maybe you lost your father. and There's a lot of pain associated with today. Maybe your father was never what you needed him to be in your life. And so today is not the most fun day to celebrate. Maybe you as a dad are simply going as you're getting all this love and, and you're taking your picture with best dad ever and you're like, ugh, I know what the card says, but I just don't feel like the best dad ever. things just have not happened like they're supposed to happen. Man, when when my kid was born, it was, everything was good. And and it was was awesome. And by the time I figure out how to change a diaper without getting sprayed, all of a sudden they're driving a car. Can some of y'all identify with this? And you're like, this is happening all, all too fast. And then the next thing you know, they're graduating. And, and, and in the midst of all this, we have a pandemic and we're just trying to find toilet paper here and figure out E-class and what, you know, where do all these NTIs mean? And, and we're trying to figure it out and life happens so fast. And so many dads end up talking to people like me and they say, Trip, I don't know what happened. And I say, what do you mean? And they say, things just have not gone like they're supposed to go. And I have some regrets. 
It, it has happened too fast. I, I, I understand that I have some responsibility in leading my kids and leading my family spiritually. I, I, I understand that I'm supposed to be a spiritual leader in my household, but Trip, life just happened. And it got crazy and sometimes out of control. And the next thing I know, I'm sitting here saying, ah, I don't know how I got here. Today can be a very tough day. But my hope is that you will gain some encouragement through this passage today. Because Paul probably felt like how some of y'all feel as he's walking out into this place going, how did I get here? Man, I gave my life to Jesus and I want to follow him. And next thing you know, I'm in prison. I'm being falsely accused. I'm on trial for my life. What is this? Like Paul, sometimes we do everything right and we find ourselves in a place we never imagined but in this moment, Paul realized something that I wish I could remember more. That in Jesus, your chains, your circumstances, they don't have to define you and they don't have to limit you. Because in this moment, standing there in chains on that star, on trial for his life, is the man that also wrote in Philippians 4, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the same guy that somehow found perspective in chains to say that no matter what my circumstance is, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So with the most unfortunate circumstances, Paul steps up and he begins to speak. And in our text, we see here in Acts 26, Agrippa said to Paul, okay, go ahead and speak in your defense. What, is, what does Paul say here? I'd probably be like, please, please let me, let me go. Please, I'd be begging right here. What does he say? Paul gestured with his hands and he started his defense. I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you're the one here in my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. For I know you're an expert in all Jewish customs and controversies. Now please listen to me patiently. What's Paul doing in here? Is he buttering the king up a little? Eh, there might be a little bit of that going on. But he's also saying, I know that you are knowledgeable and I know you're gonna be objective. So let's cut through the politics here and I want you to listen intently to what I'm going to say to you. And then he launches in. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. And if they would admit it, they know that I've been a member of the Pharisees, the very strictest sect of our religion. Now I am on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the 12... 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day, and they share the same hope I have. Yet, your majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you 
that God can raise the dead. Paul's saying, now, any, anyone who knows anything about me, they know my upbringing. They know I have been religious. They know the training. They know what I've been through. But there's more to the story here. He's saying it's not just about the religion. It is about true faith. And I want you to know, he asked the question, why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? See, most Jews believed in the general concept of resurrection, but they didn't accept that Jesus actually rose from the dead, was the Messiah, and that changed everything about their faith and about their life. But Paul, in this moment right here, has one thing on his mind when he speaks. Y'all need to know that God can do miracles. He's saying, how are you going to believe in God but can't believe God can raise the dead? How are you going to put your faith in God and not believe that he is God and by definition can do miracles? This is the same Paul chapters earlier Again, arrested, falsely accused, he's put in, in, pres- in, in prison with his boy Silas. Silas is probably freaking out a little bit. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Paul says, well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to sing. We're going to what? We're going to sing. We're going to get our worship on. Where's Pastor Zach? Where's he at? We're going to worship. Now, I doubt the song was written then, but I can hear Paul in stocks, in chains, singing Almighty warrior, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. And Paul and Silas is saying, what? And he's singing and he's going. And all of a sudden, the walls begin to shake. The chains fall off of his wrist. Silas is like, yippee, look at God. Let's get up out of this place. Let's roll. And Paul says, hold on one second. Hold on. What you, man, what? Hold on. You didn't have to cap off the big fat magic marker right there. What are you saying? He says, hold on and let's see what God's going to do. Because if you think these chains falling off is a miracle, you ain't seen God work yet. And we read the rest of the story and we see not only do the chains fall off and they have an opportunity to be free, they hang around and God uses them in the mess to see the jailer and his entire family come to know Christ. Paul has this perspective when he's standing in front of the king and the queen and the governor and all these important people. When I look back at some of the hardest moments in my life, it is only when I have the perspective that God does miracles that my entire perspective of the hardest moments of my life change. They flip. Many of y'all know my story. You know some of the things that, that have been challenges in my life. When my nephew, who was like my little brother, was tragically killed. God, how in the world can you work in the middle of this? God, where are you? God, what are you doing? And see God in the midst of that tragedy. To see many, 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 many people come to know faith in Christ through Trey's testimony. Even a few weeks ago, all these years later, people hearing his testimony and coming to faith in Christ. When my oldest son, Kaysen, many of y'all know Kaysen, you see him serving around here. When he was born almost three months early and we were told by doctors, 
he likely will not live, prepare yourself for this. And we saw God had other plans and we were told, well, he might live, but he probably will not see. He probably will not be able to hear. He's gonna have physical challenges. I, I know you like, like sports, pastor. Know that your son will probably never play sports. I know you like music. Know that your son will probably never play music. And to see God, how can you use these circumstances? to see the ministry we were, be able to ha- we were able to have through the NICU nurses that we lived with for so long. To see the story God is writing in his life right now as he serves and God uses him in an incredible way. It inspires me every day. And then early in ministry, I found myself at a place where I was accused one day of a crime that I did not do. And I said, God, what, what are you talking about? How can someone make horrible accusations against me like this. And there was a dark time and I'm waiting on this to be proven, proven to be false, completely fabricated allegation. And I'm saying, God, what, what are you doing right now? And in each of these moments, when the spirit of God speaks to me and say, Trip, why don't you change your perspective while you wait on me to change your circumstance? How about instead of praying, God, get me out of this circumstance. God, do something. God, deliver. How about you pray, God, how do you want to use me in the middle of this? Because I'm still in the miracle business. And it's only when I change that perspective could I see God work even in the midst of terrible circumstances. See, maybe God wants to use you even in the mess you're in right now. Maybe God doesn't want to immediately change your circumstances. Maybe he wants to use your circumstances somehow for his glory. You may say, God, you don't understand what it's like to deal with the mess of my world. Oh, he understands because he stepped out of the glory of heaven and he stepped into the mess of this sinful creation to provide a way for it to not always be like that for you. To give you hope, to give you a future I was talking with a young lady this week who shared it would be so much easier to take her life than to live with the pain of her life. And as I watched our student team minister so well to her, I shared with her, sweetheart, I don't, I can't explain everything other than we live in a sinful and broken world. God created everything perfect and sin ruined it and he wrecked it. Well, where is God? God's in the midst of your hurt. God is here in the midst of your pain and God's already set in motion the greatest rescue plan ever so that one day every tear will be wiped away. So that one day we don't have to deal with the hurt and the shame and the pain that this world affords us here. God's with you. Paul understood this. God's in the miracle business and God is not only present, he's present in me and wants to work through me And he realizes that God can take your chains and he can turn them into opportunities. So what did he do? He begins to speak. Now follow me here. I want to walk you through this passage because it's so significant how he uses his one shot, his one opportunity, and what he does with these moments here. He said, I used to believe I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus Nazarene. Indeed, that's what I did in Jerusalem. And authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. 
and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Some of y'all have heard the story of Stephen who was stoned. It's believed that Paul was the one that held everyone's uh, jackets while they stoned Stephen to death. He cast his lot against him. Verse 11, many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus and I so violently opposed them that I even chased them down into foreign cities. So Paul, before he became Paul, his name was Saul, and he so opposed those who took the name of Jesus, he hunted them down and he killed them. But, verse 12, one day, I was on a mission like this to Damascus, and I was armed with the authority of the commission of the leading priest. And about noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven brighter than the sun has shone down on me and on my companions. And we all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. So he asked, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. On the road to Damascus, Jesus appears to him and he falls on the ground. And he begins to realize that everything he had been living for outside of Jesus was a lie. And what does Jesus say? He says, get up. Get on your feet. Get up. In this moment, Paul began to realize that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he realizes God's glory. He realizes his humble position before God. Jesus said, get up. Paul, get up, stand on your feet. This is the same language that's used in Ezekiel 1 and 2. Get up, get on your feet, for I got something for you. And as he gets on his feet, with full remembrance of his own past, with full remembrance of what he was on his way to do, his own failures, he realizes that the one who called him to get up was the one who wanted to redefine his life and give him a future and give him a purpose. It doesn't matter what your past is like. God wants to redeem you. God wants to give you life. God wants to give you a future. God wants to give you a purpose. Paul is testifying to not only the fact that God can do miracles, y'all need to know God can do miracles in me, even as bad as I am, he's telling them. Jesus comforts Paul here. He said, tell people you've seen me and tell them I'll show you what I'll show you in the future and I will rescue you both from your own people and the Gentiles. Jesus said, follow me, let me take care of you. Follow me with the perspective and the mission and the purpose for which I've called you to get up out of your mess and trust me to take care of the circumstances. He says, yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles. Check out his mission here, to open their eyes, to turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God. Y'all, that's the same mission we have today in Christ. To help people see the truth, to turn from darkness to light, and from the power of the enemy to true power in Christ. 
Dads, that is your mission in your family. To not only represent Christ to your home, but to help even those who see you living for Christ as foolishness, help them see truth, help them realize power, bring them out of darkness into light. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. And then verse 19, check out where Paul goes from here. And so I obeyed, that's important. I obeyed that vision and I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout Judea and also to the Gentiles that all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove they have changed by the good things they do. And then some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this. They even tried to kill me. But God has protected me right up to this present time so that I can testify to everyone. From the least to the greatest, I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead and in this way announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. What's Paul doing here? He's using his one shot to drop the gospel on them. He's telling them the truth. There is life, but it's only available in Jesus. This is it. And it's available for everyone, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what your past is like, no matter what people have told you before, there is life and it's available in Jesus and only in Jesus. It is a gift for you. He's using his one chance to speak truth. He's not making it about him. He's making it about him. And suddenly, Festus hears this testimony of Paul saying, not only can God do miracles, he's done a miracle in me. Festus shouted, Paul, you're insane. You're a madman. Too much study has made you crazy. I don't think Paul was caught off guard by this because scripture says that the gospel is foolishness to those who have not believed. He's undeterred by this because no matter Festus's reaction, Truth is truth no matter what. So undeterred by this reaction, Paul replied, look, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is the sober truth. And King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly, for I am sure these events are all familiar to him. They were not done in a corner. And then King Agrippa, he speaks directly to him. He says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Check out Paul's boldness right here. My man's dropping some testimony. He's dropping some truth of the gospel. And in this moment, with the governor interrupting him, you're a madman, you're crazy, blah, 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 blah. Paul has the boldness to, and look directly in the eyes of the king. And he asked him, King, do you believe this? Do you believe the prophets? I know you do. How is Paul so bold? How is he so undeterred by the noise? Because I love the fact he knows that God is working in this situation. Let me tell you, whatever God has called you to do, newsflash, he's already working there. If God's called you, he's not only prepared you, he's prepared those who are gonna hear it. 
And check out his response. The king says, do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? I love this. Now, the king is in a little bit of a dilemma here, kind of a catch-22. What's he going to do? Do you believe the prophets? I know you do. If he says, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I believe the prophets. I believe everything they said about God and about the coming Messiah. I believe all of that. If he admitted to believing that because he was a smart guy, he had to admit God can do miracles, therefore, it is very possible that Jesus is the Messiah. He didn't want to go there. But he also couldn't say, no, I don't believe, because he might have been the one who was stoned that day. So what does he say? Huh, well, Paul, boy, uh, huh, okay, everybody's looking at me right now. That dude down there in the chains just looked directly at me, the king, and said, I know you believe. Stop tripping. Stop playing games. I know you believe. <laughs> Paul, man, listen, uh, do you think, in just this short little monologue you just given right here, do you think you're going to convince me like that to become a Christian? <laughs> Paul says, you're dang right. Yes. He actually says, whether it's quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these chains. You, you think you're going to convince me that quick to be a Christian? Come on, man. Paul says, I don't know how long it's going to take, whether it's quick or not. Some of y'all as parents are living in that space with your kids. God, I, I've been praying for them forever. They're, they're not living for you. They're not pursuing you. They're not loving you. I try to invest in them. I try to do it. I, I'm wearing my knees out praying for them. Listen, if that's you, take heart. God hears your prayers. Have the words of Paul on your lips, whether quickly or not, I'm gonna continue to pray to God. Because guess what? The battle is not yours, the battle is his. It's his, trust him. And Paul, again, taking the focus off of him and putting it on him, says, I pray whether you, whether you give your life to Jesus today or if it takes a minute, my prayer to God is that you become like me. He says, except maybe these chains. Hey, I think he's making a little joke here. I need you to be, I want you to be like me. Maybe you can lose the handcuffs though. How in the world can Paul, standing on the star in handcuffs with everyone gawking down at him in a position where his life could be taken from him at any moment, how can Paul say, I pray to God that all of y'all and all of y'all and you, king, that you be like me? How could he pray that? Because he was the freest person in the room. He was the freest person in the room. Listen to me. You are never more free than when you surrender your chains to God. If you're sitting here today talking about, oh, well, I'm just in bondage by my circumstances. I'm in bondage. I'm a slave to the choices I've made. I'm not free because of my past. God, you can't use me because of this, 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 or this. Guess what? Surrender your chains to God and experience ultimate freedom. 
You're never more free than when you surrender your chains to God. That's why Paul could say, my prayer is that you be like me because he knew that his chains did not define him. He wasn't defined by his circumstances. He was defined by his God. See, the enemy will try repeatedly to define your life by your circumstances. The enemy, Satan, will try to define you by your scars. Jesus says you're defined by his. See, that changes everything. Paul could stand there with complete confidence that his identity, his usefulness to God, his purpose for being was not defined by what limited him, but by the fact that he served a God that was not bound by any limits. That's why he could get up. And he could get up with confidence. I love one of my favorite preachers, Dr. Tony Evans. He says, if, if you want a good picture of motivation to get up, why you need to get up out of your circumstances, he said, watch Rocky Five. Any Rocky fans in the house here today? Some of y'all are like, man, he's going all out today. He made an Eminem reference and a Rocky reference here. <laughs> I love the Rocky series. Rocky IV could be the greatest film ever made. And I remember leaving the movie theater that day, all five foot five of me at the time, saying, all right, somebody say something to me. <laughs> say something to me. I was ready to roll, you know? But I thought leaving the movie theater in the series right here, is it will not get any better than this. Rocky, Ivan Drago, I will break you. And then, you know, everyone, Rocky, Rocky. I mean, come on, y'all know. It don't get better than that. But then they want to roll out Rocky V. Now, Rocky V, if you've never seen it, don't even waste your time on the first uh, three quarters of the movie. Go to the last 15 minutes of the movie. That's where it gets good. So in Rocky V, you have... Rocky Balboa, the Italian stallion, right? He, he's retired from fighting. He was too old to fight anymore. He had hung it up, but you got a young up-and-comer, Tommy Gunn. And he meets Rocky one day, and he says, man, you're my hero. Can I get an autograph? And he says, Rocky, will you train me? I want to be great like you're great. And Rocky said, man, this, this, this is awesome. This is the way he can stay in the fight game at his age and in his circumstances, he says, yeah, I'll train you. So he trains Tommy Gunn. And Tommy Gunn becomes the heavyweight champion of the world. And he had everything, man. He had money, he had girls, he had popularity, he had fame, and his circumstances were so perfect in his eyes, he said, I don't need anybody else. He fires Rocky Balboa as his manager. Kicks him to the curb. Not only that, he's, he starts feeling himself so much. I am so great. I think I could beat the great Rocky Balboa. He challenges him to a fight. The last 15 minutes, I'm telling you, YouTube's a wonderful thing. When you get to YouTube and you watch these last 15 minutes, you will see that Tommy Gunn shows up. He shows up at a bar where Rocky is hanging out with his brother-in-law. And he says, 
Rocky, Balboa, come out here, fight me. And Rocky says, man, I'm not about that anymore. I'm good. Tommy Gunn won't leave him alone. He comes in the bar. And Rocky's brother-in-law gets between Rocky and Tommy Gunn. And Tommy Gunn hits Rocky's brother-in-law. And he's on the ground and he's bloody. Rocky runs over there and he talks to his brother-in-law. Then he stands up and he looks at Tommy Gunn. He said, won't you hit me like that? It's on. It is on. It starts in the bar. This fight rolls out into the street and they're going at it. They're hitting each other. But Tommy Gunn, he's too young. He's too strong. He's too fast. And he gets the best of Rocky. And Rocky finds himself bloody and broken and defeated, laying on the curb. And while Rocky's laying on the curb, he remembers Rocky 1, Rocky 2, Rocky 3, Rocky 4. And we know this because it's playing like over his head, right? And he remembers Apollo Creed and all he had to do to become the champ. He remembers Clubber Lane, Mr. T, and how he was beaten, but then he worked so hard and he came back to win the championship. He remembers Ivan Drago, Rocky, Rocky. And every time he remembers one of them, he tries to get up, but he can't. But then he remembers something else. He remembers his old trainer, Mickey. And he remembers what Mickey had told him. He remembers what Mickey had done for him. And he hears Mickey tell him, get up, get up, Rocky, get up, you bum. Because Mickey loves you. And in that moment, the music comes on. Yes, sir. And Rocky gets up and he shakes his head and he looks at Tommy Gunn and he says, Yo, Tommy. And Tommy turns around. He said, I didn't hear a bell. We got one more round. And it's on again. And in that moment, Rocky, who was beaten down, who was defeated, who was hurt, he stood up because he found a power in that moment he didn't possess. He found an ability that he didn't have despite his defeat because he remembered someone who had died and who came back to life to give him hope. Let me tell you today, I don't know what's got you down today. I don't know your circumstances. I don't know how long you've been down, but I do know someone who died on your behalf 2,000 years ago. And when he was in that grave, on the third day, God the Father spoke to God the Son, and he said, get up. And when Jesus got up, he walked out of that grave, defeating sin, defeating death, so that you could have life, and so that you could have life abundantly. And because of what Jesus did, he says to you, get up, for Jesus 
Jesus loves you and that changes everything. It changes everything about your circumstances. It changes everything about your perspective. It changes everything about what God can do in you and what God can do through you. Y'all listen to me this morning. Dads, I wanna speak directly to you just for a moment here. And I love you and I wanna encourage you. Some of you have every excuse in the world as to why God can't use you to spiritually lead your family. To invest that legacy that we heard about in the baptism pool this morning. You feel like your chains disqualify you or prevent you from living out God's purposes for your life. You need to know that you can be set free from that mindset today because you are never more free than when you surrender your chains and even your mess to God. In fact, God can use your chains. God can use your circumstances, even if you got yourself into them. Don't miss this. In Jesus, chains can become opportunities. If you're looking around right now, making excuses, well, God is not perfect. Well, guess what? Let your circumstances be an opportunity for God to use you right there. Opportunities can become platforms. Paul's platform was big and it was wide and it was not because of anything he had done, but because God chose to work in and through him. In Jesus, chains can become opportunities. Opportunities can become platforms. And platforms, when used for God's glory, can help you live out God's best, not only for you, but for your family. Let me wrap with three questions for you today. The first one is this. What are you doing today with the platform that God has given you? I probably had five men tell me this week, Trip, I have the worst job in the world. Trip, my, my, my work situation stinks. Cool, what are you doing for God to use you there? I'm just praying that God moves me, that God gives me something more. Well, the question, what are you doing with what God has given you? How might God want to use you in that hot mess you call work, your job? How might God want to use you there? Don't pray for something different or something more. If you hadn't prayed for God, what do you want to do around me now? It's not about your circumstance. It's about your Savior. Second question, who is your audience today? Who's your audience? Paul didn't choose his audience. He was given an audience. Who is your audience today? Some of you will go to lunch with them in a few minutes. Some of you will go to work with your audience tomorrow morning. Who is your audience and what are you using your opportunity to share with them? And lastly this, what chains can become opportunities in your life today? How does a, how does a chain become an opportunity when it's fully and wholly surrendered to God? who can do a miracle, not only in your life, but in the lives of those around you. We're gonna sing a song, just the chorus of this song and then we'll be dismissed. Let me encourage you as we sing these words, 
for these words to become a prayer in your life. Bro, the battle is not yours. The battle belongs to him. And if you're willing to fight on your knees, the Bible says whoever humbles himself, God will lift him up. My prayer for you today is that you'll surrender your chains. You'll let God fight the battle and you'll be amazed at what he does in you and through you. Let me encourage you to stand and invite you to sing and make this your prayer to God. And when I fight, I fight on my knees and my hands lifted up. Oh God, the battle belongs to you in every fear. I lay at lay your it down feet, before and I'll, I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle Let's sing that one more time. Make it your prayer. In every fear, I lay at your feet and I'll sing through the night. Father God, I thank you that the battle belongs to you. Thank you that on the cross, you defeated the enemy. And God, every single day through your word and through our lives, you want to demonstrate that defeat. Father, today, may you give men courage to lift their chains to you. May you give moms God, the boldness to speak of you and their family. God, may you empower children to walk out your story in their lives. Men and women, old and young, God, you want to do something in us and through us for your fame and for your glory. God, today, may every one of us get up. May we get up. May we stand on our feet knowing that you fight the battle and you go before us and you make a way. God, thank you for giving everything so that we can have life and life abundantly. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all walk out of here today in freedom and in peace because you serve the one who has made a way. Y'all celebrate your dads today in a great way. Thank you.